الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين We're continuing with our tafsir classes and we have reached the tafsir of Surah Al-Duha. Surah Al-Duha. The first thing that we want to say about Surah Al-Duha is this surah was revealed in Mecca. It was from the surah, the, the surahs of the Quran, which came down to the Prophet during the time that the Prophet was in Mecca. And the general topic of this surah are the blessings which Allah Azza wa Jal gave to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and how he is commanded to respond to those blessings with gratitude and how he's commanded to show gratitude for those blessings that Allah Azza wa Jal gave. The reason this surah was revealed, there is actually uh, a number of different reports about this, but the report which is narrated in Al-Bukhari and Muslim is that a woman from the Mushrikeen, she said to the Prophet ﷺ, She said, I see that the shaitan or your shaitan has left you. And Allah revealed, What is understood from this is that there was another break in the revelation. And this break in the revelation is not the same break in the revelation that is narrated regarding Surah Al-Muddathir and Surah Iqra. Because we said after Allah revealed Iqra wa Rabbuka al-Akram alladhi allama bil-qalam allama al-insana ma lam ya'lam There was a break in the revelation which caused great concern and great worry and anguish to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Here there was another break in the revelation. There was another break. And in this break in the revelation, the mushrikun of Quraysh, they made fun of the Prophet wasallam, and they indicated or they said yani that they, they did something to indicate to him that they thought that Allah has abandoned him or they made fun that Allah has abandoned him. And it's said that they said Muhammadan that Muhammad's Lord has abandoned him and detests him, hates him. And Allah Azawajal revealed what Duha Wallayli Ida Saja Ma Waddaaka Rabbuka Wama Kala that your Lord did not abandon you, nor does he hate you, nor does he detest you. So this tells us, or this even though uh, the the uh, hadith in Bukhari and Muslim is quite limited in what it tells us. It doesn't give us the whole story. There is a weak hadith that the, the, the reason the wahi was 
it, it was uh, it didn't continue is because that there was a puppy under the bed, a dog under the bed of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and when it was discovered and taken out, then the revelation continued. But the hadith here is not uh, authentic in that regard for the, for this uh, the reason why Surah Duha was revealed here. So we say instead what we have is the statement of some of the mushrikeen that they said that the Lord of Muhammad has abandoned him and the Lord of Muhammad qalahu and he has he abghadahu he detests him and hates him and Allah Azawajal revealed Surah Al-Duha and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swore by Al-Duha and by Al-Layl he swore by the morning and he swore by the night time that Allah Azawajal had not left the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam nor had he abandoned him nor did he detest him uh, so inshallah that gives us an idea of the, the reason why the surah was revealed as for this statement ما أرى شيطانك إلا قد تركك I don't see this the woman from the mushrikeen that she said that I, I don't see anything except that this shaitan of yours has left you we don't, we don't have necessarily or at least I didn't find anyway anything which explains that further uh, from that which is authentic and Allah Azza knows best but if we find something inshallah we will, we will mention it inshallah Accept the statement that they said, that the mushrikeen said that your Lord has left you, your Lord has abandoned you. So the first thing is that Allah swore by al-duha. We've already spoken about the oaths in the Quran and we've said Allah doesn't swear by anything except that it is mu'adham. It is something which is great in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah swore by al-duha, by al-duha. And al-duha, in the original meaning, is the time at the beginning of the morning, the early morning time. And it extends all the way until the zawal. There are three times of al-duha, or al-duha can be divided into three, the early duha, and the middle duha, and the, uh, the late duha. But generally speaking, the, the meaning that comes to mind in the beginning is awwalun nahar, the beginning of the day. And al-duha, all of it refers to the beginning of the daytime, but it can extend all the way up to the zawal. That's why salatul duha, the prayer, which is the duha prayer, it continues from the time when the sun has risen uh, to the height of a spear, all the way until the time when the sun just before the sun reaches the middle part in the sky. All of that is al-duha. But here what is intended, and this is one of the opinions, from the opinions of the scholars of tafsir, and it's the opinion of Imam Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, that al-duha here, it means awwal nahar. It means the, big, the, the early part of the day. And this is the time in which there is the most barakah. There is the time in which there is the most barakah and it has more barakah in it than any other time. And uh, there is a hadith, some of the scholars, they, they differed over it. Uh, but there is a hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ said, Burika fi ummati fi li ummati fi bukuriha, that the barakah for my ummah has been put in the early morning. 
And as we said, the scholars differed over it. Some of the scholars, they said that it reaches the level of being authentic and some of them didn't. But this hadith, uh, it contains, or this ayah contains a supporting evidence for the concept that the duha time, the early morning time, is the time in which there is the most barakah. And that's why Allah chose to single it out for Al-Qasam here to swear by subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Imam ibn Jarir, rahimullah ta'ala, Tabari, he took a different uh, approach to this. He said that the meaning of al-duha is still al-duha. However, Allah is expressing or using the word duha to refer to the whole day. And this is common in terms of the usage of Arabic that the uh, uh, you use a part, uh, you use a part, abbara an kullihi bi or as they say, that to use a part of something to express the whole thing. Now we've already done this in tafsir. Where's the, where's this come about? Who can remember? Where's this come about? This issue of expressing something you want to refer to the whole thing but you use just a small particular part of it to refer to the whole thing where has this come so far recently we did it in the tafsir can you remember came at the end of surah al-alaq kalla la illam yantahi la nasfa'an bin nasiyah nasiyatin kadhibatin khati'ah we said nasiyatin kadhibatin khati'ah allah azza is referring to the nasiyah of Abi Jahl, of Abu Jahl, instead of referring to the whole of Abu Jahl, and he just refer, referring to the whole by a part of it, using a part of it to refer to the whole of it. And that's what Ibn Jarir, rahimullah ta'ala, he took here. Ibn Jarir al-Tabari, rahimullah ta'ala, he said that the meaning of al-duha here is that Allah, same like the nasi, Allah is referring to the duha as a part of the day, but he's referring to the whole day. So that's interesting because we keep saying in tafsir that we should make tafsir according to the opinion that is the most predominant and the one that matches the normal usage of Arabic. We shouldn't go looking for strange and we shouldn't try and look for complicated tafsir that goes beyond what is the clear Arabic language. So what did Ibn Jarir, the imam of the scholars of tafsir, what did he, rahimullah ta'ala, have to back this up? He said two things. Number one, as we mentioned, the habit of, in Arabic, of the Arabs, the, 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 the Arabic expression of referring to the whole of something by mentioning a part of it. But more importantly than that, Allah Azawajal said, وَالضُّحَى وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا سَجَى Allah Azawajal com- contrasted between the duha and between the layl, the night. But the duha, like Ibn Jarir mentioned, the duha isn't opposite the night. It's not, uh, the two are not opposite each other, like hot and cold, right? Like light and dark, like night and day. But here Allah Azawajal didn't say night and day. He said the early part of the morning and then the night. So Ibn Jarir said he, by the early part of the morning, what is meant is the whole day. Because the day is what contrasts with the night. But even Ibn Jarir here, uh, he mentioned 
from this also that Allah, the reason Allah chose to single out the word duha to refer to the whole day is because of the barakah in it and the virtue of it and so on. Uh, and Ibn Jarir, he, he, he mentioned also, rahimahullah ta'ala, or from the things that supports what Ibn Jarir mentioned, rahimahullah ta'ala, is the statement, uh, the use of the word duha to mean the daytime. Uh, like what was said to Adam in Surah Taha, you will not go thirsty in it um, and you will not you will not feel the heat of the day in, in Jannah you will not feel uh, the heat you will not go thirsty and you will not feel the heat you are not going to feel the heat of the day so the word use of the word duha to mean the, to mean the, the heat from the, the sun the hot the heat of the day. And again, that is also not uh, problematic in the first opinion because also the word duha, even the duha prayer, the best time for it is when the sun, uh, it starts to become hot. And one of the things the duha is known is the time when the heat starts to come. So this statement, uh, to Adam, it also doesn't uh, contradict uh, either of those two and what seems to me to be apparent in Allah knows best is that the word duha refers to the duha yani the, the, the time that we know as a duha uh, and Allah knows best but neither of those two opinions are very far away from each other in that sense but neither of them change the tafsir in any regard yani. but it just whether is the focus only on the duha time or is it the duha and then the whole day as well and Allah knows best. And then Allah swore by the night. Saja here, the majority of the, the Mufassirin, they said Saja, it means second. It means that it, the night when it becomes tranquil. And they took this from the statement of the Arabs, Bahrun Saj meaning Bahrun, Sakin. The, the, the sea that is Saj, in Saja, if you say about the sea, Saja, it means that it was still. It was still. If you say about the sea, and it didn't have waves, it was a still sea, a calm sea. You say Saja. So they said that Saja here, that's what it means. Second, it became the night, the tranquility. And many of them mention along with that, the Zalam, uh, the, the, the darkness, by the night when the darkness spreads out. And ultimately, it's this darkness that brings about this calming and tranquil effect. It's actually the darkness that brings that about. And so the two of those, they go together. And these are ma'ani mutalazimah. They're meanings that all come together, they all go along with each other. Because when the night is calm. The reason that things calm down in the night is because it becomes dark. And then people calm down. You want to go to sleep. Uh, the activity, the busy rushing around during the day calms down. The night comes, the darkness comes, and the people become, uh, the people become tranquil. 
And it said, others among the scholars of tafsir, they said, Saja, it means aqbala. It means that it comes forward by the night when it approaches or when it comes. And this is narrated from Al-Hasan Al-Basri, rahimahullah ta'ala. It's also narrated from Ibn Abbas, but the narration is weak from him, radiallahu anhuma. So here, uh, what is reported from Al-Hasan, aqbala, and by the night when it approaches, when it comes, then also this is also mutalazim, and it also goes all in with the, with the same thing. But the, the meaning of saja in its origin is second, that it becomes peaceful and tranquil and calms down and, uh, and so on. The darkness spreads and uh, the night when it approaches and when the darkness spreads out, and the tranquility and the calm Things calm down and people, they take their rest. So Allah Azawajal swore by Al-Duha and Allah Azawajal swore by Al-Layl. He swore by the day and he swore by the night. Or he swore by the early part of the day and he swore by, he swore by the night. And then comes the Jawab al-Qasam. And we've come to this a number of times because a number of the surahs so far we've done have started with a Qasam. I've started with a Wa'al-Adiyati Tabha. We've done surahs that have a Qasam in it. They have an oath in it. And many of the surahs we've done so far have got this oath that starts with the Wa'al. And here now comes the answer to what Allah swore by. Why did Allah make that oath? وَالضُّحَى وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا سَجَى Why? مَا وَدَّعَكَ رَبُّكَ وَمَا قَلَى Your Lord has not abandoned you. مَا وَدَّعَكَ Your Lord has not abandoned you. وَمَا قَلَى وَمَا قَلَى So, وَدَّعَ here, it means تَرَكَ and it can also mean قَطَعَ it means that Allah did not leave you and he did not cut you off. Because this is the implied accusation from the mushrikeen. That, oh, you're getting revelation regularly, but your revelation stopped. Must be that your Lord has abandoned you. Must be that your Lord has cut you off. You should have stayed with us. You should have remained with us. You should not have brought this message because now look your Lord has left you and your Lord has cut you off your Lord has not cut you off he has not left you he has not abandoned you he has not deserted you and qala here it means abghada as Ibn Kathir he mentioned and others that qala here, it means abghada. It means he doesn't hate you or detest you. And it's interesting here. There's a really interesting point, which never occurred to me till I came across this in the explanation, some of the mashayikh of uh, tafsir ibn kathir. And uh, it's a very, very interesting question. Why did Allah not say qalaka? Ma wadda'aka rabbuka wa ma qalaka? Allah did not abandon you and Allah does not detest you or hate you. That's wadda'aka ma wadda'aka wa ma qalaka. Why is there no kaf? 
some of the scholars, they said this is uh, in order for the endings of the ayat, because of the endings of the ayat, any the endings of the ayat all end with the uh, prolonged alif. وَالضُّحَا وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا سَجَى مَا وَدَّعَكَ رَبُّكَ وَمَا قَالَى وَلَلْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ لَكَ مِنَ الْأُولَى So they said because of the endings of the ayat. But there is an opinion that some of them mentioned, and Allah knows best. They said that this is a part of, or this is an ishara. Again, remember when we use this word ishara, an indication. We're not saying this is the, the tafsir of the ayah, but there's an indication in it as it relates to etiquettes. And this etiquette is repeated in the Quran more than once. And that is that uh, certain things are not attributed or, or are not said out of etiquette. Certain things are, not, are left out of etiquette. And from the examples that are given is the statement of Ibrahim that Allah has told us in the Quran, وَإِذَا مَرِضْتُ فَهُوَ يَشْفِينَ When I become sick, he is the one who cures me. And Ibrahim didn't say, when Allah makes me sick, Allah cures me. Despite the fact that sickness and health come from Allah But Ibrahim did not say, when Allah makes me sick, I become healthy. He said, when I become sick, Allah makes me healthy. Adaban, ma'allahi tabaraka ta'ala, out of adab, out of manners and etiquettes, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that we don't, certain things you don't say. So here they said this is part of the, like an, an indication of etiquette. That Allah didn't use the words, uh, he hates you. Rather, he left the word you out of it. The word you was left out of it. In the same means, and it's said from the scholars of Balaghat, or some of those who said that this is a frequent thing that comes in the Quran, that certain expressions are worded in a way that it, it contains the most beautiful form of etiquette. Because Allah uh, the, the, the sentence would make perfect sense to say that Allah did not leave you and Allah does not hate you. But Allah left it without the, the second word of the second kaf, meaning you. And it said that this is a sign of or an indication of etiquette with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, this is something that it's, it's something to think about anyway. Maybe it doesn't go beyond an ishara, something that's just something there to think about, an indication. But it is, it, يعني, there is evidence for it. We, we also have the, uh, the hadith in which the Prophet said, وَالشَّرُّ لَيْسَ إِلَيْكَ Evil is not attributed to you. Despite that Allah said, وَمِن شَرِّ مَا خَلَقْ uh, Allah said, مِن شَرِّ مِن شَرِّ مَا خَلَقْ So here, يعني, there, is this something that always comes in the Quran like that? Or are there cases where it comes a case where it doesn't and, and is that the intended meaning? It's certainly worth bearing in mind that there is an etiquette when you're talking about Allah and you're talking about the Prophet wasallam. There is definitely an, a, an etiquette and no doubt the Quran has the best example of language and the most pure language and the best expression, the best use of expression. Uh, so there is no, you know, no issue with mentioning this as a, a point of benefit. 
that sometimes the subtleness, the subtle phrases used in the Quran, which just give that subtle meaning. Uh, like we said, وَإِذَا مَرِدْتُ فَهُوَ يَشْفِينَ If I become sick, then Allah cures me. It's also mentioned in Surah Al-Kahf. Uh, when Al-Khidr, when he breaks the ship, he said, فَأَرَدْتُ أَنْ أَعِيبَهَا I wanted to break it. I wanted to scuttle the ship. But when he talked about building up the uh, the wealth, the wall, in order for the orphans to get the, the money, in order for the orphans to get the money, he said, فَأَرَادَ رَبُّكْ Your Lord wanted. So when it came to scuttling the ship, he said, I want it. And when it came to protecting the inheritance of the orphan, he said, your Lord wanted. Despite the fact that, wallah, there is no difference between that one and that one in the sense of the command that was given to him. Khidr was given that command by Allah for both of those two things. But look at the etiquettes in the way that he spoke. That when it came to a matter that was considered to be negative, he said, فَأَرَدْتُ أَنْ I wanted to scuttle the ship. And when it came to something that was considered to be good in the eyes of the people, he said, فَأَرَادَ رَبُّكُ Your Lord wanted. But this is something to, and it doesn't hurt to give consideration, ishara, to give an indication of it or to give some, you know, some, some, uh, any indication of it. مَا وَدَّعَكَ رَبُّكَ وَمَا قَالَ وَلَا الْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ لَكَ here, walal akhira, the 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 lamb here, the extra lamb, walal akhira. There's an extra lamb. And if you if it was with, without the lamb, it would say wal akhiratu khayrun laka. Walal akhiratu khayrun laka min alula. The extra lamb here, it is again lil qasam, and therefore. It, it, it's uh, or here it's to indicate uh, not lil qasam to indicate jawab al qasam sorry to indicate an answer to an oath so it's as though Allah Azzawajal said wallahi lal akhiratu khayrun laka min al by Allah the, the hereafter is certainly better for you than the life of this world and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he said Mali walid dunya. He said, What is the what is the, the the connection between me and the dunya? Ma ana dunya. What's the what is there connecting me to this world? He said, Innama methali wa methalu. He said the, the example of me wa methalu dunya and the example of the dunya is like the raqib walla tahta shajarah thumarah wa tarakaha. Like a a rider who stops under a tree. The rider sits under the tree just to take the shade for a moment and then moves on and leaves the tree. That's the example of the Prophet ﷺ with his dunya. He saw it just like the rider who waits underneath the tree. That's it. So the rider is riding along. It's getting hot, so he stops. He sits under the tree, takes a short break, gets on and rides away. That's how the Prophet saw himself and the dunya, or how he was told to see himself and the dunya. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَلَلْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ لَكَ مِنَ الْأُولَى And that's why the Prophet chose the akhirah over the dunya in every instance. And there are instances, many instances 
in which the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam chose the dun- chose the akhirah over the dunya, and he was given choices. For example, the choice to live forever in this world until the day of resurrection, or the choice to go to Ar Rafiq Al A'la, the best and most noble companions in paradise. The Prophet didn't choose this dunya. From the beginning, every chance that he had, he chose the akhirah. Every option that he had, he chose the akhirah. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Wala al-akhiratu khayr laka min al-ula. Wala sawfa yu'tika rabbuka fatardaa. And your Lord will certainly give you, and you will be pleased. Uh, here again, the lamb wala sawfa. The lamb here, instead of saying wa sawfa yu'tika rabbuka fatardaa. Wala sawfa. The lamb here is either again, jawab. Al-Qasam, it's either there's another Wallahi Lasawfa. By Allah, Allah will certainly give you. Or it is here to indicate it's here like as as part of the regular expression. And to just to say, and Allah will, and Allah will give you that which will make you pleased. Allah Azza will give you that which will make you pleased. In this regard, Ibn Abbas and Ibn Kathir, he mentions that he brings this riwayah from Ibn Abbas. Uh, and I think Ibn Jarir, if I'm not mistaken, brings this riwayah also from Ibn Abbas. And it's, it's authentic to Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma. He said, Urida ala Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mahum maftuhun ala ummatihi min ba'di kenzan kenzan fasurra bidhalik. He said, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he saw everything that his ummah would get after him. He saw all the lands they would conquer, the victories, the conquests, all the countries that would become Muslim countries. He saw all of it. One by one. And he kenzen, kenzen. And he won treasure by one treasure. All the treasures. All the treasures. One by one, they would come. He saw them in front of him. And he was happy with that, and he became happy with it. He was happy when he saw what his ummah would get. Then Allah revealed to him, And your Lord will certainly give you, O Muhammad, and you will be pleased. So Allah gave him in Jannah, Ibn Abbas, he said, he said he gave him a million, a million, for a million palaces, a million qasr, a million palaces in paradise. In every palace is what is befitting for the Prophet ﷺ from wives and servants. Subhanallah. It's as though. Allah showed him what the followers of the Prophet would get and told that the Prophet Muhammad that whatever you see from these things that your followers get, remember that the Akhirah and what Allah is going to give you in the Akhirah is going to be far greater than that. And these Futuhat, these conquests that happened and all these victories that happened, the vast majority of them happen after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, the big expansion of the Muslim empire. In the time of the Prophet ﷺ, Islam reached the Arabian Peninsula. 
But the expansion beyond that, Futuhat al-Sham, the Bilad al-Furs, what is now Iran, uh, Syria, all of those places, Misr, Egypt, all of these big conquests, they happen after the Prophet Because Allah gave the Prophet in Jannah that which is far greater and far more important than the kunuz, the treasures that were given in the dunya to the followers that the Prophet saw that his followers would have. As though Allah is reminding the Prophet of the blessing of Allah that not only will his followers, they will get in this dunya, they will get blessings in this dunya, but ultimately that Allah will not leave the Prophet not even as it relates to the kunuz, the treasures. Allah will not leave the Prophet and even though the Prophet died and he didn't get to experience those treasures for himself, وسلم, not to the extent that his followers did when bags of gold would come from the corners of the empire, but the Prophet said, Your Lord will certainly give you something that will make you pleased. And uh, here, Al Imam ibn al Qayyim he mentions there is a false. Uh, understanding here that uh, some people have that they say it means that none of the Muslims will ever go to Jahannam because they said that the Prophet will never be happy for he will never ever be happy for one of his ummah to go to Jahannam and therefore it means your Lord will give you that none of your ummah will go to Jahannam. And Ibn al-Qayyim, he mentioned that this is from the, the deception of the shaitan, that the person gets these kind of thoughts, that, oh, because the Prophet will not want me to go to the hellfire, so I will not go to the fire, so I will be fine. And Ibn al-Qayyim, he gave the response to this, which is very powerful. He said, the Prophet will be happy with what Allah is happy with. And so if Allah Azza wa Jal is content to decree that you are punished, how will the Prophet ﷺ not be content with what Allah is content with? If Allah Azza wa Jal decrees for you to be punished, how can it be the Prophet ﷺ would ever contradict that? La Allah. There's difference from the shafa'a, intercession and so on. But it's authentically reported in a hadith mutawatirah, a hadith that are so many in number, that they reach the level of being mutawatira, that there will be people from this ummah in the fire. But they will not remain in the fire forever. They will not remain in the fire forever if they are from the people of Tawheed and they did what is required, the minimum which is required to be a Muslim and they are Muslims upon Tawheed, they will not. They will not be in the fire forever. But as for people mentioning these kind of statements and then telling people, don't worry, no matter what you do, how much haram you do, you're not going to go to the fire. Then we say that this is not the tafsir of the ayah. There's no way this is the tafsir of the ayah. First of all, because the Prophet will not be displeased with something that Allah decrees. And secondly, because of the ahadith that clearly and unequivocally show that there will be among the Rusat al-Muslimin, the disobedient Muslims, those people that will enter the fire. 
We ask Allah for his refuge and his safety. Allah said, Alam yajid Did we not find you as an orphan? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looked after the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took care of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet was an orphan and the orphan in Islam is man mata abuhu duna sin al or qabla sin al that whoever their father dies before they reach the age of puberty. The Prophet his father died when he was in his mother's womb and when his mother gave birth to him at the age of six years old his mother died also. So the word orphan in Islam is used for the one whose father has died. Uh, it's not used, people use, often use the word orphan in a much bigger context. They either use it for anyone whose father has died regardless of their age and that's not true. Or they sometimes use it for the one whose mother has died. The orphan is the one whose father dies before they reach puberty. That is the orphan. And as we said, the father of the Prophet ﷺ, he died and he died a non-Muslim. Like the Prophet ﷺ said to that Sahabi, he called him back. He said, my father and your father are in the fire. He had said to him, your father is in the fire. Then he called him back and he said, my father and your father are in the fire. And he was prohibited for seeking forgiveness from his, for his mother. And Allah revealed, it's not right for the Prophet. Those who believe in It's not allowed for the Prophet and, his, and, the, and those who believe to seek forgiveness for the polytheists even if they are, for, even if they are close relatives to them. The Prophet was forbidden for seeking forgiveness for his mother. She died as a non-Muslim. And that was at the age of six years old that she died. Then he passed on to the care of his grandfather Abdul Muttalib who also died as a non-Muslim. And that was at eight years old. Then he was taken on and looked after by his uncle Abu Talib. And Abu Talib died just before the Hijrah and he also died as a non-Muslim. All of those people, from the father of the Prophet and his mother, from his grandfather Abdul Muttalib and his Uncle Abu Talib, all of them died upon the religion of Abdul Muttalib, upon the religion of shirk, polytheistic religion of the people of Makkah. And yet Allah Azza wa Jal provided shelter to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and brought him through that when he was an orphan. And that is from the blessings that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, he... Uh, from the blessings that Allah Azza wa Jal gave to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now I want you to remember this blessing because it's going to have a, a pair. It's going to pair up in a moment with an ayah that comes later on. So the first blessing was being an orphan and Allah Azza wa Jal took care of the Prophet Sallallahu We found you to be an orphan and we took care of you. وَوَجَدَكَ ضَالًا فَهَدَى And we found you to be dal. 
The word dal, generally speaking, it means misguided. But do we say the Prophet was misguided? Do we say the Prophet was misguided? Do we even say the Prophet was a Muslim before he became a Prophet? Or was he upon the religion of his people? Was he upon the religion of the polytheists? Or was he like agnostic, that he didn't know what religion he was? So what do we say about the Prophet before he became a Prophet? This is a matter the scholars of uh, the scholars of Islam, they differed over some of the details within it regarding the Prophets. But the correct answer is that the Prophets were upon the fitrah, upon the natural inclination to worship Allah alone. They were upon the fitrah before the Prophethood. And it's not true that they were upon polytheism or that they were like agnostics who didn't know what religion they were. They were upon the fitrah, but they didn't know the details. They didn't really know anything about Allah in detail or anything about Iman in detail. And that's why Allah Azza wa said about the Prophet you didn't used to know what the book was. You didn't know anything about what scripture was and you didn't know what Iman was. You didn't know what scripture was and you didn't know Iman. That was how the Prophet was before prophethood. He was upon the fitrah. He was inclined to worship Allah believing in one God. But he didn't know the nature of that God. He didn't know the scripture of that God. He didn't know the traditions of prophethood that came from the prophets and the messengers that Allah gave to them. The Prophet didn't know those things, the tafasil, the details. What he knew was that there is one God and one God alone, and that's it. But he didn't know more than that. And that's the meaning of dal here. The meaning of dal, which could mean astray, uh, it doesn't mean here misguided, that you were, uh, yeah, and you were upon evil or upon falsehood. But what it means here is that you were not in line with the reality. You didn't have the full, like you weren't in, in line with the reality of how it was. And that's why they use as the evidence for this, the statement of the children of Ya'qub to Ya'qub alayhi salam. By Allah, you are in your same state of misguidance. Ya'qub is a prophet. Yes, Ya'qub is a prophet. Is it not kufr, akbar, major disbelief to say to a prophet, you're upon dalal? If you said to a prophet, you said to Ya'qub, Ya'qub, you are dal, you are upon misguidance. That's kufr, disbelief, right? So here it shows that the meaning was not misguidance, but the meaning was, that you are not really recognizing the reality of what happened to Yusuf. You're not admitting that Yusuf died. You're not in line with the reality. You're not in line with what's really happening. And that's the meaning of dal for the Prophet here. That the Prophet not that he was upon the religion of the polytheists or that he was in a state of agnosticism, rather that he was not, he didn't have all that information about the scripture. He didn't know about Allah Azza wa Jal, what he was given after that. He didn't know about prophethood, what he was given after that. He didn't know the reality of Iman that he was given after that. 
but he knew that there is one God and one God alone. And he knew that what his people were doing was wrong, but he didn't, he wasn't able to know any more than that. That's all he knew. And then Allah gave him, and Allah guided you. Allah gave you prophethood and knowledge to know Allah more than any of the children of Adam have ever come to know Allah. Uh, to know Allah. And Allah gave you from prophethood what he didn't give to any of the children of Adam. So Allah took the Prophet when he was in a state of, you can say, not having, not, he didn't have that information. He didn't know. He didn't know. Like Allah said, You didn't know what the book was and you didn't know what Iman was. But Allah gave that guidance to the Prophet and that is from the second blessing that Allah mentions. The first one, or we can say it's not necessarily the second one because maybe the first one, Your Lord has not abandoned you or left you. But as it relates to the, what we're going to talk about, the, 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 how tahadduth bi ni'matillah, uh, expressing gratitude for the blessings of Allah, we're going to talk about how the two contrast each other. So the first one we had is that he was an orphan and Allah looked after him. The second one, that he was in a state of being away from or astray from the detailed knowledge of Allah and the religion. And Allah gave him prophethood. And we found you to be in a state of poverty and then we enriched you. So here, uh, here, the meaning of a'ilan here is faqiran. We found you to be faqir, poor. And uh, Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimullah ta'ala, he has a discussion on this. He says it could mean the poverty in terms of wealth. The Prophet was a poor, because he was an orphan, that he was a poor, uh, a poor boy. He didn't have much money. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him to have enough money for his needs. And enough money here doesn't mean, and, and this is an interesting point, we dealt with this in the Q&A that we did recently. So someone asked a question. They said that about, the sh about wealth, asking for wealth. When Allah said, فَأَغْنَى We gave you wealth. If, if we take this to be money. And that's one of the two. One of the two opinions that it relates to money. Then did Allah ever give the Prophet wealth as in he became wealthy? Wealthy as in he, he had more than what he needed. In Sahih Muslim, the Prophet used to make dua to Allah. Allahumma ja'al rizqa ali Muhammadin quta. Oh Allah, make the provision of the family of Muhammad enough, but not more than that. Just make it sufficient. Don't make it a fitna for them, like a test, a trial for them, that they have money that they don't need. So here, Agna doesn't necessarily mean that he became wealthy as in he had more money than he needed. But if here, Agna, yani Agnahu min al-faqr, Allah relieved poverty from him. So he was no longer poor. The second opinion that Ibn al-Qayyim mentions here is Ghina al-Qalb, is the is the contentment of the heart to be wealthy or to be rich in the heart and uh, this is one of the opinions of the scholars of tafsir here 
that the, the faqr and the ghina mentioned here, the poverty and the richness, are referring to the heart. And that Allah Azawajal enriched the heart of the Prophet And Imam Ibn Qayyim ta'ala, he said, was sahih, or he said the, the correct opinion is, both of them are true. Allah Azawajal in, enriched the Prophet took him out of poverty, and Allah Azawajal gave him enough that he needed, that he never had to ask for money from anybody. And he never, like all of the Prophets, uh, I'm not asking you for any wealth. I'm not asking you for any payment. Allah Azawajal enriched the Prophet Does that mean that he had an abundance of money? He had way more money than he needed. That's not the meaning here. Because he made dua. Oh Allah, make our rizq, the rizq of the family of Muhammad, quota, make it enough. We've got it, it's enough for us. And what we have, what we have is, that's what we need. But don't make it more than that. Like don't make it to the extent that we become, we come put in a trial, in a, in a situation of evil, or a situation of fitna, or a situation where we end up compromising ourselves because of money. Just give us what we need. Is it haram then to have more than what you need? It's not haram. It's not haram to have more than what you need. Uh, and from the evidences of this is the statement of Allah with regard to the advice of Bani Israel to Qarun. Don't forget your portion from the dunya. You're allowed to have wealth as long as you give in sadaqah, you give your zakah and so on. But what is best and was indicated by the hadith of the Prophet that the best wealth that a Muslim can have is qut, is that which is enough for you, and it's not so much that he goes to trial in it. But if he has more wealth than that, and he spends it for the sake of Allah, then this is also praiseworthy. This is, there are hadith that indicate the praiseworthy nature of that. And there are sahaba who are wealthy. Uthman ibn Affan, عن, from the things that mentioned in his seerah is his wealth and how much he would spend for the sake of Allah. He was a wealthy, wealthy person. However, uh, what the Prophet asked for is to have enough. He didn't ask for poverty. He didn't ask Allah make me poor. How could he ask for poverty when Allah said, Allah said, uh, regarding this, how could the Prophet ask for poverty when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, أَلَمْ نَجِدْكَ يَتِيمًا فَآوَى وَوَجَدَكَ ضَالًا فَهَدَى وَوَجَدَكَ عَائِلًا فَأَغْنَى How can Allah say, we blessed you by giving you money after you were poor, and then the Prophet say, oh Allah, make me poor. It's not possible to, to, for that to go with the ayah. So all of these things that you see from the Sufiya of craving poverty and asking for poverty and making dua for poverty, all of this is not from the Sunnah of the Prophet How do you reconcile asking Allah for poverty with the statement And he found you to be poor and he gave you riches. He gave you riches. He enriched you. But it's not, it's, there's no evidence, there is no hadith of asking Allah for poverty. Rather what the Prophet used to ask for is Give me enough. That I'm not poor, I don't have to beg, I don't have to take debt, I don't have to ask, but I have what I need. I have what I need. That's what, that's what the Muslim should aim for. And if 
the Muslim gets more than that. Because while they're aiming for what they need, Allah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might make it easy for him that so many things come to him and he might start a business in order to cover his needs and that business might become huge into millions and millions and hundreds of millions. And he was only looking for what he needed. And then he gives his zakah and he, he uses his money for what pleases Allah There's no harm in that. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what the Prophet got. What the Prophet got is he got lifted out of poverty. And like Ibn al-Qayyim said, the meaning of al-ghina, it encompasses the, the riches of wealth and the riches of the heart. That Allah took him away from being, you know, that his heart didn't have that contentment and that inshirah, sadr alam nashrah lak sadrak. Have we not, have we not uh, expanded your chest as we spoke about in the tafsir of Surah al-Sharh? The Prophet didn't have that. Then Allah gave it to him. So that's from the ghina that Allah gave to the Prophet is that which is in, contained in the statement Alam nashrah And this is indicated also by the hadith in Bukhari and Muslim in which the Prophet وسلم, he said He said that wealth is not having lots of possessions But wealth is when you have your nafs is ghaniya. Your soul is wealthy. You know, like having a wealthy soul. Wealth is not having possessions, but wealth is having a wealthy soul. So this hadith is evidence that the ayah encompasses both wealth in terms of being lifted out of poverty and also wealth in terms of wealth of the soul, the heart, and feeling fulfilled and content. Because that's what wealth is. That's what ghina is. You know, you feel content and you don't feel needy. You feel content and you don't feel needy. And that's how the Prophet felt in his heart. Now, uh, these three now, these three things we spoke about. Alam yatiman fa'awa now Allah is going to contrast these three things with three commands. And this is from the evidence that the blessings require shukr. And they require shukr from those blessings directly. They require shukr, gratitude, from those blessings directly. What do we mean by that? Act, O family of Dawood, in gratitude, and so few of my servants are truly grateful. Act, be, behave in a way that shows the gratitude. So how does this work? So let's go through the three. As for the orphan, Taqahar here, it means don't disgrace them. Don't push them away. Don't uh, lower down their status or belittle them. As for the orphan, then don't push them away. Don't belittle them. Don't uh, disgrace them. Don't make them feel bad. Because subhanAllah, the orphan is in a situation where they might feel that hawan, that like, almost like a disgrace upon themselves, that I don't have a father. You imagine that the other 
children. They might say, well, what about my father? My father does this. My father has given me this. And the orphan is thinking that my father's not here to give me anything. My father's passed away. I don't have any father to give me this, to give me this thing that I want. And all the people are saying, oh, my father is like that. And my father is like this. And my father gives me this. And my father is better than your father. What will the orphan say? He feels low. He feels like he's in a position where he's low. Don't make the orphan feel like that. Don't make the orphan feel like that. Don't, you don't, in the way you deal with them, don't enforce or don't reinforce this feeling that the orphan might have where the orphan feels that they're low or the orphan feels that they are in a position below everybody else. Don't feel like that. Don't make the orphan feel like that. And from that is the from the sunnah is that issue of wiping over the orphan's head. That the person who feels hardness in the heart, and wallah, this is a beautiful advice. If you feel hardness in your heart, go and wipe the orphan's head. What does wiping the orphan's head do to, for the orphan? And the orphan might be poor. You didn't give him any money. What does wiping over his head do? It makes him feel special. It makes him feel that, or her feel that someone cares about them. That they're not low, that there's people there looking out for them. And that is the meaning of As for the orphan, then don't make the orphan feel down. Don't make the orphan feel low. Don't, make, don't disgrace the orphan. Don't take away from the orphan. Don't lower the status of the orphan. Look after the orphan. Take care of the orphan. Type. What do we mean by this is the opposite? Didn't Allah find you as an orphan and then he took care of you? Allah found you as an orphan, then he took care of you. Subhanallah. So when you see an orphan, don't lower the orphan down. That's your shukr. That's the shukr that you have to give. Allah found you as an orphan and took care of you. So when you see the orphan, don't lower the orphan. Don't, don't take away from the status of the orphan. Don't look down upon the orphan. Don't push the orphan away. And that command is to all of us, whether we were orphans or not. It, that, that command is not specific to the people who were orphans. It's not unique and specific to the people who were orphans. It's not like that if you were an orphan, you have to look after orphans. But Allah, this is even more emphatic for the one who was an orphan that when you find orphans now look after the orphan now O Muhammad you're in a position of authority you're in a position of or this was this surah is Makkiyah so before Medina but now O Muhammad you are in a position where you can follow on from the etiquettes of the Arabs or you can break from those etiquettes they used to look down on the orphan they used to oppress the orphan they used to belittle the orphan they used to take the orphans' money. Uh, they used to, they used to uh, take the money and mix it with their money and then devour it and eat it and, and live from it and not give the orphan anything because who, what are they going to do? They, had, they don't have a father to defend them. That's what they used to do. And so the Prophet now he's been told, don't follow that etiquette of the Arabs, how they are. Don't look down upon them. Don't push them away. Don't make them feel uh, belittled. And don't do dhulm to them. Don't oppress them. Don't oppress them. Okay, here's a question. As for 
the sail, the questioner. فَلَا تَنْهَرْ Do not push that questioner away. Who is the questioner here? I bet all of you, more most of you, when you knew this hadith, you said that the questioner is the beggar. Don't push the beggar away. Everyone's been told about that, right? Everyone's been told when the beggar comes, don't push the beggar away. The beggar comes and says, please, can you give me some money? Don't push that beggar away. Yet that's not the first meaning that comes to mind here. Because the three go with what? Alam Didn't we find you to be an orphan? So we looked after you. So you look after the orphan. And we found you to be dalan. You didn't know about Allah. You didn't know about the religion. And we guided you. So who is the sa'il here? Who is the sa'il? What do you think? The sa'il, Al-Hasan al-Basri, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, talibu ilm. He said, it is the student of knowledge. As for the student of knowledge, don't push them away. Because Allah Azza wa Jal gave you knowledge when you didn't have knowledge. He taught you prophethood when you didn't know prophethood. He taught you Iman when you didn't know Iman. So when the students of knowledge come to you and ask you questions, Oh Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Fala Tanhar, don't push them away. However, Imam Ibn Al-Qayyim Rahimullah Ta'ala, he said it encompasses both. Sail al-ilm wa sail al-mal. The one asking for knowledge and the one asking for wealth. Both of them are included in the statement here as for the questioner or the seeker as for the one who is seeking seeking knowledge or seeking wealth don't push them and drive them away don't and here the tanhar and nahar here is a zajar don't um, don't rebuke them now here again, there's also a misconception. And the misconception here is, It means you're never allowed to withhold money from someone who asks for sadaqah. That's not correct. That's not the meaning of the ayah. Well, that, this is also not from the things that the scholars of tafsir said about the ayah. That means that every time someone comes to beg from you, you have to give them. That's not, that's not the meaning of the ayah. Even, I have to admit, that I, this is what I understood from the ayah and from the, for a long time, that I understood that if a beggar comes to you and says, can I have some money? It's not allowed for you to send them away. You can't do that. But the word, the word tenhar here, meaning a zajar, is to rebuke them and to repel them. Not, it doesn't mean don't give them. And rebuking and repelling is more that you say to them, get out of my face, get away from me, don't ask me this, how dare you come to ask me this. This is what is meant by Fala Tanhar. As for whether you give them or you don't give them, then this is another matter. But you, if you don't give them, you don't give them with softness and gentleness. And you say, oh, look, I'm sorry, I can't give to you at the moment, but may Allah bless you, may Allah enrich you. And you don't make them feel bad. And the same thing about the talib ilm. The talib ilm might come to you and ask a question. You don't have time to answer that question right now. Someone might say, you know, subhanAllah, like the, the email questions and the phone questions and stuff. And people get asked and they say, وَأَمَّا السَّائِلَ 
It's not allowed for me to uh, it's not allowed for me to uh, to refuse to answer a question. SubhanAllah, some people might ask questions now on the on the internet while we're giving the class. They're asking a question, I don't answer their question. But that's not the meaning here. But the meaning is if we don't answer the question, then do so with gentleness and softness. Say, Allah bless you. I'm not able to answer that right now. I don't have enough time to answer that at the moment. May Allah bless you. But don't make them feel small. Don't make them feel terrible. Don't rebuke them. And that's why the scholars, they mentioned there are some elements of begging that are haram. There are some elements of begging that are haram. And uh, this can be, for example, like the example of the person who uh, stands up in the masjid when the people are making adhkar and then they start saying these things and they start, you know, they start, uh, they start saying, you know, like, oh, give me money and they start oh, cry, crying and, uh, you know, that you people here, we, I can't. This is not permissible to disturb the people in their adhkar like this. However, that doesn't mean that you like go hard on them. May Allah bless you. Sit down. Go to the back of the masjid. Inshallah, when the people go out, they can look at your situation and they can give you. But as for standing up and crying in front of people in the saf and telling people I need this and I need that and the people are praying and interrupting their salah and sometimes taking the microphone and speaking on it, this is not allowed. It's not allowed. But that doesn't mean that you, you do a zajr for them, that you rebuke them and you're strict, you push them so hard that you say, get out, don't ever come back again. I don't want to see your face in here again. Rather you say to them, look, let's go to the back. People will come to you, inshallah. Don't, uh, don't disturb the people at this moment in time. So that doesn't change the fact. And that's why sometimes people ask the question, these beggars that come, and we understand from them, from these beggars, that they are... Uh, you know, for example, they are begging as part of organized crime or a gang, or they're begging and they're, you know, they're lying about their situation. So, don't push them, don't be really horrible and harsh to somebody who, you, who could be truthful. But that doesn't mean you have to give them. Some of the scholars said you could give, the, give a small, if you're doubtful about a person, just give a very small amount. Or give them what they say they need versus... You know, like what versus money. And I remember a very interesting situation happened to us. So I was with a brother. We were together in the car. And we were outside of a food place, a takeaway. We'd just taken some food. We were eating. And somebody knocked on the door. The brother wound down the window. And the, the person said that, uh, could you spare some change for some food for me? I'm hungry. So he said, no, 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 don't worry about it. We have a bag of food take our bag of food. So the brother took the bag of food and he said, take our bag of food. He said, food, you're offering me food. If I wanted food or something along those lines. And then he stormed off. Because he didn't want food. He wanted money, Allah alam, to buy drugs. He didn't want food. He wanted money to buy drink or to buy drugs. Wallahu uh, musta'an. So giving people doesn't always mean you have to give. But be gentle with people. How If you don't give to them, be gentle with them. Be soft with them in the way that you respond to them. And... If you doubt about someone's authenticity or truthfulness, don't make the situation worse by giving them a large amount of money. Like people do, like somebody comes to beg and they give a huge amount of money to them. And subhanAllah, it only increases them in oppression and, and ingratitude. So 
uh, I, I don't think that it's right to give people like that. Rather, either you have few choices. If you want to check what's really going on, find out what's really happening with them and ask the question individually. Like, okay, situation, Allah, I lost my family, I lost my money. Okay, no problem. Bring me, let me have a look at your situation. Meet me, you know, after this time, let's go through it. Let's find out what's really happened to you and let's inshallah try to help you out. Or there's a qarina, tadullu ala sidq. There's an evidence the person is truthful. Like, for example, I, I remember a brother came to me outside of the masjid and he said to me, look, I'm not asking you for money and I'm not asking you for a large amount. What I just need is I want to go home. And he said, uh, I've come, I'm, I'm from another country and I've come to, he mentioned the country he came to. And he said, I just want to go home. And he said, to be honest, I don't even want you to give me money. Just go and buy me a ticket, a bus ticket, the cheapest ticket there is, just so that I can, I can reach home. And I think that is like, I'm not going to say that he's, he, I can't say for certain that I know that he's truthful. But there's a qarina, there's an evidence there that gives me a confidence that he's truthful. Because he's not asking for a lot and he's not asking for money. And he's telling me that, you know, just go, don't, don't even have to get me a plane ticket. Even though his country was a plane ticket where he said, I'll take a bus. Just, I just want to go home now. I made a mistake in coming here. I'm cut off from my wealth. If you could buy me a bus ticket for me to go home. I would really appreciate it. That kind of thing. But if you doubt the person or you think they might be involved in some kind of crime, don't give them. Find out what's wrong with them. If they say they want food, go buy food for them. If they say that they've got problems paying bills, ask them to come with you and show you the bills and look into why they have these problems with bills. Otherwise, you're just making the problem worse. And all of that doesn't come under the statement of Allah and as for the blessings of your Lord فحدث, then speak of them here we come to the meaning of what does it mean what does it mean what does this mean because this ayah is a bit of a difficult one really because people confuse two types of ni'am people confuse two types of blessings. The first type of blessing that people confuse is the at-tahadduth bi-ni'matillahi mujmala that or ala sabil al-ijmal generally speaking about the blessings of Allah. And this is what is commanded in the ayah. Al-mujmal. So from this is saying alhamdulillah all praises to Allah and from this is saying, uh, I'm well, alhamdulillah, I'm well, alhamdulillah. And someone asks you, how is your situation? Say, alhamdulillah, things are good by the grace, by the grace of Allah. This is what is meant by, وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثِ As for, التحدث بِنِعْمَةِ اللَّهِ عَلَى سَبِيلِ التَّفْصِيلِ Or مُفَصَّلًا That to speak about the blessings of Allah with tafseel to the point that you, you're breaking down that Allah gave me this and Allah gave me this and Allah gave me this and today I made this much money and yesterday I made this much money and this day I did this and tomorrow I'm going to do this and the next day I did this, then this is not necessarily what is indicated by the ayah. It might be the situation in some circumstances that it might be praiseworthy in a certain situation, but it's not necessarily what is indicated by the ayah. And here what you see from some people is that 
they, they, they talk about the, the evil eye and they say, how can we uh, speak about the blessings of Allah when we're scared of the evil eye, we're scared of such and such a thing uh, happening to us, the evil eye or something like that. Uh, but that's not what is uh, intended here. So the, as we said, the meaning here is not mufassalan, uh, that you have to necessarily mention every ni'mah that happened to you. The meaning here is a mujmal, generally that you praise Allah for the blessings that he gives you. It's not necessary that you should post, sometimes when people post on their social media, they're telling all the things that have happened to them and they're posting all of their, you know, like their luxury lifestyle and their expensive cars and expensive clothes. And you ask them, you know, brother, sister, I think you should just calm down with this. You're posting a few too many things. They say, As for the blessings of your Lord, tell everybody. So I'm telling everyone. That's not the meaning here. The meaning here is Generally speaking, I need to praise Allah for the blessings. However, that's not even the meaning that many of the scholars of tafsir took either. That was one of the opinions. Um, and also they said included in this is, is, is to give thanks to people. Is to, is to thank people for what they've done. But that's not what most, even the scholars of tafsir, some of them said the meaning of is to recite the Quran or for the Prophet ﷺ to convey the nubuwa, convey the prophethood that was given to him by Allah That this is the greatest of the blessings that Allah gave the Prophet ﷺ is his nubuwa, in the dunya is his nubuwa, his, his prophethood. And that is the meaning. وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثْ أَيْفَ بَلِّغْ مَا أُوحِيَ إِلَيْكَ Give the, transmit or convey the revelation that was given to you. بَلِّغْ مَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ بَلِّغْ مَا أُوحِيَ إِلَيْكَ That's what they said is the meaning here. وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثْ However, we can also say that عَلَى سَبِيلِ الْإِجْمَالِ that there is no harm in including both. And that's why Ibn al-Qayyim, he included both. Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala, he included both. He said both of them are true. Ibn al-Qayyim has a beautiful long discussion in uh, in uh, uh, Madarij Salikin. In Madarij Salikin. An amazing discussion Ibn al-Qayyim has about this, about this, uh, this surah. And uh, wallah, if we get a chance to translate it, if there's some Arabic speakers who want to translate some of the statements Ibn al-Qayyim has in Madarij al-Salikin about this, about certain parts that he, like ta'liqat he has about the surah. This surah is, is amazing. Ibn al-Qayyim links between, first of all, al-duha, which is the, the light that comes after the darkness, and the wahi that came after it was stopped. So the, when the wahi stopped, it was like the darkness. And when the revelation began again, it was like the duha. So Allah swore by the duha, which is the light of the day. Allah swore by the light of the day in order to show or because of the suitability that the revelation began like the light of the day after the darkness. That's one of the things. Uh, and in all of these things, Ibn al-Qayyim mentions the statements of the scholars of tafsir and then he says, all of them are true, all of them are true, all of them. So he brings all of them together. So, uh, Some of them said, this means in the Akhirah, Allah will give you in the Akhirah. Like Ibn Abbas in about the million 
palaces and so on, that Allah will give you in the Akhirah. But Ibn al-Qayyim, he said, the correct opinion is both, the dunya and the Akhirah. Both of them are included here. Uh, and likewise, uh, when it comes to the ghina, the richness, that it's the richness of the soul and the richness of being relieved from poverty. Ghina al-mal wa ghina al-qalb. And the correct is al-ithnayn, both of them together. And likewise, the sa'il, the questioner, Ibn al-Qayyim, he said, some of them said it is talib al-ilm, the student of knowledge, and some of them said it is the poor person. And he said, and the correct one is al-naw'in, both of the two types of people are included. And then he mentions, وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثْ And he said that some of them said, he said, they said, speak, i.e. recite the Qur'an. That, that means to recite the Qur'an or convey the message from Allah. And some of them said it covers all of the blessings. And Ibn al-Qayyim, he said the correct one is, both of them are true. It means to recite the Qur'an and it means both of the uh, blessings. And at tahadduth here, some of them, they made it more general than that. Or they made it different, they made it different tafsir here. Some of them said, At-Tahadduth huwa shukr that وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثْ As for the uh, blessings of your Lord, then speak about them. They said that this speaking about them means be grateful for them. And some of them said it means give da'wah to Allah. And this could be a command for the whole ummah after the Prophet because you all have a share of this. وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثْ As for the ni'mah of Islam, then tell the people about the ni'mah of Islam. As for the blessing of Islam, share the blessing with Islam. Of Islam, share the blessing of Islam with all of the creation. And the correct opinion is all of those are included in the meaning of the ayah. And Allah knows best. Jazakumullah khairan for watching. Please subscribe, share, and you can visit muhammadtim.com